Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Oh, bedapple the light of my mind. Let shade and atoms swirl in pint-glass spectrums of the past. Bring forth cool breezes of wood smoke and grass, and bring the laughter of a distant field, and bring me into the moon underwater. Welcome, everyone. And I have to say, Robin, I almost didn't make it through the door today. Why is that? Lost your key? No, no. There were so many particles of desire outside (laughs) that I almost couldn't get through the buggers. Oh, really? They manifested. There was just an almost a force field of desire. Bloody hell. Have you ever wanted something so much that it's almost impossible... When it's there right in front of you to grasp it. Do you think desire... So desire's physically manifested itself and it's caused a blockage. So the desire particles that, that form the very foundations of the moon underwater, they're usually pretty disparate. You don't need many of them to create a pub. Yeah. But sometimes you just get little little sort of bottlenecks of desire. <laughs> what happens when you try and get through them then? It's like pressing two magnets together when they're at the wrong wrong end of the scale. You know what it's like when a magnet's at the wrong end of the scale. Is it like pushing through a crowd in a busy city? Yes, very much so. If the crowd was made up of people that are tiny and invisible. Mm. Um, I mean, research into particles of desire is at a very early stage. (laughs) It is. They're trying to fire them round an enormous pub in Switzerland. The large hard-on collider. (laughs) Trying to see if they can crash two particles of desire together at enough speed to actually bring forth pubs. Oh, yes. And then, in theory, you could then generate infinite pubs with very low carbon emissions. Is that the creation myth of pubs, then? A pub comes into being when two particles of desire collide in the large hard-on collider. Well, I think current studies show that at the big pub bang... (laughs) At the big pub bang about 2,000 years ago, all the pubs that exist today were created. Right. They just hadn't sort of coalesced. 
Okay. Because you can't... As so I suppose it's like all... There's no such thing as new matter, is there? You can't make something from nothing. So in a way, pubs have always, always existed. Uh, well, since 2,000 years ago, I think it was when either Christ was born or died, there was the big pub bang. <laughs> and all of the yeah. pubs that currently exist were just spread forth amongst the world. Right. But they didn't know themselves. They didn't know they were pubs? No. So anyway, how are you? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm good. I'm really good, actually, John. Yeah, I'm feeling... Well, no, I'm, I'm all right. I'm awful, actually. Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> I went downhill yeah, quickly. Yeah, I did, yeah. A bit... Uh... But how can you feel awful in the, sat here in the moon underwater? Well, that's true. I suppose I can never feel awful in here, really. Um, you know, a bit of bit of a hangover. But in the, in the moon underwater, a hangover is kind of inverted. Oh, I don't mind that as a concept. <laughs> so you actually feel better. <laughs> yeah. Clear-headed, able to remember things that people have just said, able to perform quite complex equations... But unfortunately, I, I missed the mist mail. I missed the mist. Uh, were you in when the mist man called? Yeah, I sighed for the mist mail. Um, so we've got some, some lovely correspondence here. So we've got a lovely uh, email in here from Graham, which is a bit of a correction. Hi, guys. Loving the cast. However, it is the tedious drawl of correction that motivates this correspondence. So this is to do with, do you remember in the Vic Hope episode, we were talking about sparklers? Yes. Graham says, I am reliably informed by my ex-publican partner that, one, sparklers are fitted to the ends of pumps to enliven a cask ale for which tender loving care has been lacking. They will give a flat beer head. When I worked in a pub, they were mandated by the brewery owner, but the landlady made us take them off for regulars as the beer was well kept and in no need of artificial enlivening. Two, beers like John Smith's, Boddington's, etc. are stored in nitro kegs. It is the nitrogen which supplies the creamy texture. Put a, put a sparkler on a nitro pump and you've got yourself a pint of head, mate. Anyways, I trust you're both well and that the inevitable increase in pub time does not delay the regular podcast episodes. Take care, Graham. So there we go. So he's saying that sparklers are only kind of used to enliven unlively beers. I'm not denying the fact that that may have been used in Graham's partner's pub. I'm not denying that that may be how they're sometimes employed but I don't think that's why that, that I don't think that's their only use. Yeah, and definitely there is a thing. If you're in the north or the northeast, you get a cre- creamy pint. Get a creamy pint of black sheep. It's it's fantastic, and you don't you can't get that down south. But I've been to pubs which pride themselves on supreme ale quality that use sparklers. So I'm just I'm looking it up now in my mind. In your mind, yeah. It just brings more CO two in the head resulting in a softer, sweeter flavour to the body due to the loss of normal CO2 acidity. Right. There is some dispute about the benefits of a sparkler. There is an argument that a sparkler can reduce the flavour and aroma, especially of the hops in some beers. The counter-argument is that the sparkler takes away harshness. So they may well be used to make a sort of beer that's on the turn slightly nicer tasting. I've certainly had beers poured with a sparkler, sometimes in Edinburgh. Yeah, Dukas with a sparkler is quite nice. Ooh, yeah. But, it, but am I right in saying that creamy texture comes from a sparkler then? The creaminess of the head does, yes. And I, and, and I think what it's saying is that it has a softer flavour to it, slightly sweeter flavour. Sometimes when you see someone pulling a pint and they're doing it sort of achingly slowly and you're like, please don't continue to do it at that 
speed because you really want someone to, as a barmaid once said to me, give it some rice. Yeah. I think is a maybe a brummy expression, sort of give it some welly, because that then really gets it going through. Well, I remember this about the Harcourt Arms. John, the barman there, could pull a pint in two pulls. Mm. I don't know if that was the quality of John or the quality of his pump. If you've got an answer to that, if you're John, not this John... Email in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, if you if your local uses sparklers, do let us know because I love hearing about beers poured through sparklers. Mm. Mm. And also, all beer pumps or loads of them have have little threads at the end, so they're sort of designed to be able to add them onto, aren't they? Yeah. There's stories of people who like bring their own to pubs, isn't there? Sort of real. Um... That's insane. Yeah. But surely there's quite a there must be a kind of anti sparkler contingent as well. From the tone of Graham's email. Yeah, I think in those sort of dark recesses of the camera membership, there are probably lots of for and against camps for various things. I bet there is a beer web forum where people talk about sparklers and it's about 50 pages long, you know. Yeah, and I can't wait to read it. <laughs> yeah. And folks, if you would like to uh, have your correspondence side for and delivered by the missed mail, then you could write to us at john at moonunderpod.com. And just a reminder that if you have been uh, overindulging of late and fancy a a non-alcoholic beverage, then do go to drydrinker.com and use the code moonunderpod to get 20% off, which is a sizable amount of percent. It's a large percentage off a very small percentage because they're mostly 0.5 or 0.3% or 0.0%. And also, if you would like to gain access to a really quite thrilling bonus podcast behind the cellar door, then you can uh, head to Patreon at patreon.com forward slash moonunderpod to choose your level of exposure to our extra content. But an upcoming episode of Behind the Cellar Door where we remove the mirror of sorrow from the wall uh, and open the cellar door and go down into it and chat to each other does feature live pub audio. Well, I was quite literally standing next to John as he was broadcasting into his phone by the Thames. It was, it was quite quite amazing to see. Yeah, just trying to soak up some of the atmospheres of pubs. Yeah, the, the approaches, the reveals, the thoughts, the feelings. The thoughts, the feelings, but never recording inside the pub itself because no. the pub is, is hallowed ground and you don't want to be look like two twerps making a weblog on your phone. <laughs> yeah. Right then, I need to really pay some attention to this block of desire particles outside the front door because I really don't want our guest this evening to get into any trouble or to think that we've sort of put a spell on the door. Yeah, no, that's the last thing we want. No, we want her to be able to gain swift entry to the moon underwater. Uh, so I'll, I'll get to that now. Rob, if you could lay down a nice selection of beer mats. Sure. Because I know it's one of your pet peeves that not enough pubs have beer mats these days. Yeah, we've got an infinite supply. We certainly do. Infinite beer mats and infinite desire. Right, uh, I'm off to do that, and we'll see her very soon. Oh, Robin, I've just been down to the cellar. There was a, a fervency in the air down there. Fervency? Yeah, a, a real fervency. And now, looking out of the window, the, the bowed window, have you noticed that the wood smoke from chimney upon chimney has turned the alleyways into misty bogland? 
Yeah, well, now you mention it, yeah, I did I did notice earlier just that there were definitely thunderous sparks from the dark of the pub. Uh, <laughs> yes! Before the, the smoke you mentioned. Those silent sparks that emit from the pub's aura. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I think maybe we should give it a good clean. Yeah, possibly. But it feels like it might be getting to the roaming hour. Yes, no, uh, hang on, let me just check one of the 80 clocks. Yes, it is the realming hour, and I believe that this evening we're, we're due a guest to join us within the pub. Maybe that's why the wood smoke from chimney upon chimney has just begun to swirl, as if revealing someone to us, Sam. Yes, it's hypnotic. It is hypnotic, and it's, it's portentous. Oh, yes, the door! It's the door, and who's that? It's Beer Writer in Excelsis. Emma in. <laughs> Hello, Emma, come in. Hello there. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, Emma, it is a delight here at the Moon Underwater to welcome, and I'm not going to spare your blushes, a member of the British Guild of Beer Writers and a British Beer Writer of the Year, as well as a host of the Fermentation Beer and Brewing Radio podcast. What you don't know about beer isn't worth knowing, Emma. Absolutely not. <laughs> and we're delighted to welcome you to the Moon Underwater this evening to create your dream pub. I wondered, Emma, do you spend a lot of time dreaming about the perfect pub? Oh, well, I do at the moment. You know, it, it's something that has gained more of a mythical status than it already had, really. You know, this, uh, this idea of something perfect. I'm not entirely sure that the perfect pub actually exists apart from yours obviously in a kind of a kind of an ongoing way i think it's like these fleeting glances we get of the perfect pub when you're going to a new pub to to try a new beer because you also sort of write little well i'm going to quote from one of them because it's such extraordinary writing do you still get that feeling that this could be the one <laughs> this could be the pub that i i just want to come back to again and again i i mean i get that a lot and i think you know we've all had that experience where you have uh, you know i think the perfect pub is unexpected you know it's that it's that bumping into a friend in the street and saying do you fancy a quick pint or you know some mates saying we found this really good new place let's take you to it and uh, you know, somewhere or somewhere you don't expect to be. You've popped in for something, you realise there's a quiz on, you think, oh God, I don't really want to do the quiz, but you think, oh well, let's join in. You end up having the most riotous night you've ever had. It's so hard to recreate that when you go back, even if you go to the same pub with the same people, something is lost in the moment, but that's still exciting because it means something can be found elsewhere when you least expect it. Mine and John's favourite ever pubs is the Dagda in Edinburgh. And the first time I went there, it was just literally, I was with my friend Dave during the Fringe and I'd often walk past it and wasn't really sure about it because it sort of looks like one of those crystal shops that you see in, in Glastonbury that sells tarot cards kind of from the outside. And I thought, oh, I've never actually been in here. Should we try it? And then like, oh my God, <laughs> the next decade, writ itself <laughs> large. Do you often find that those amazing unexpected pubs Often they're from the outside, don't look like very much. And I wonder if the more a pub tries to say, this is a magical emporium of, and it's all Victorian writing and mock Tudor, and actually go inside and think, yeah. But when it's sort of quite a blank or odd looking facade, sometimes you walk in and you're like, oh, I've walked past this so many times. Absolutely. And I think it doesn't have to necessarily have to be beautiful or in, in some way heritage or anything like that it can be the least 
you know, sort of assuming kind of place. Uh, I remember going for just another unexpected night, met a friend. Uh, we'd suddenly decided we wanted to play darts. And we just opened the door to this pub that we thought, oh, that's got a dartboard. Found it had like, you know, six dartboards. Darts was its thing. And, you know, it wasn't a pretty place. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't somewhere that I would normally have chosen to go. Uh, you know, it had these sort of formica floors and a very sort of utilitarian tables and people went there to play darts. But the beer was really good and, uh, you know, the people were really friendly. We had, you know, this most stupid game of darts, missing the board and all that kind of thing. But it was just, you know, such an amazing play. I don't think we could recreate that. But yeah, pub doesn't have to be beautiful, I don't think. It doesn't have to be... It's not the way, it's not the way it looks. It's what on the inside that counts. So... We need to address a common love that we have, Emma, for Dark Star Brewery. <laughs> and as soon as you arrived here at the Moon Underwater, I saw you wearing a Dark Star Brewery cap, I which I also own. <laughs> so I'm going to put my identical copy of the cap on. Fantastic. But I find myself in a situation I was once in, in a pub near me. Now, this pub had closed down and been refurbished, so... Once a lot of the sort of clamour of the new opening had finished, I, I went in to sort of check out what it was like. And I saw that on a pretty sort of average looking, more restauranty vibed bar, they had a single pump of Dark Star Hophead. And I literally <laughs> went up to the bar and was like, oh, my God, you've got Hophead on here. And he was like, yeah. And I said, I'll have a pint of Hophead. And he looked at me and he said, um, Are you a bit of a fan then? And I went, yeah, yeah, I yeah, I really like this beer. And he and he sort of looked at me slightly strangely and I realised I was wearing my Dark Star cap and also, as I am now, my Dark Star oh, yeah. hoodie. And I thought I must look insane kind of coming into this restaurant and going crazy. So I took off my cap and just as it's about to happen now, just coincidentally, I took off my cap and I took off my hoodie to sort of pretend, oh, yeah, I'll just put this away. And I was wearing uh, a Dark Star Brewery T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so I walked up to this guy, like a sort of an American tourist in London with his Big Ben hat and his Big Ben coat and his Big Ben bum bag, but still had a gorgeous pint of, of Hophead. Oh, you cannot be Hophead. I mean, and it's, you know, it's just, it's so perfect for, for you know, long afternoons in beer gardens that we'll hopefully be getting it's low abv it's so drinkable it's so you know and and live you know living in sussex as i do you know dark star is you know is one of my one of my faves well i'm going to read uh, if you don't mind something from an article you wrote about having a pint of dark star at the evening star in brighton which is such a great pub and the way you write is so perfect because on the one hand, it's really knowledgeable and there's a lot of information. But on the other hand, it really sort of tugs at what I think Robin and I often discuss about that something extra that we expect from from pubs and the odd pint. So do go to Emma's website. It's fermentationonline.com. And uh, this is just from uh, an article Emma wrote about a pint of this very beer we're discussing. It's rare that I order a pint nowadays. In a world where there are so many beers to try, I usually choose smaller measures, even of sessionable ales. 
but I always order a pint of Hophead, with its flash of elderflower aromas, and just enough bitterness to clear the palate. It's a beer I've drunk in beer gardens over sunny afternoons, and on ice-cold evenings with my cheeks pinched pink. It's a beer I've shared with friends, and one I've sometimes had the luxury of drinking alone. It's the beer that puts me in mind of my hometown, and the one I can almost feel on my top lip as my train pulls into the station. Some beers are polite. They fade pleasantly into the background as they accompany our conversations, never dominating, never shouting. Other beers push to the front, demanding to be heard, making sure you won't ignore them. But some of the best beers, like the pin-bright evening star hanging in a clear sky, or a familiar story repeated to fade, simply light your way home. Oh my god! That's so... I mean, I'm just there. Hairs on your neck gone end, and, you know, it's... It's someone writing about having a pint in a pub, but... There is magic in it. <laughs> but I mean, that's how important beer is. That you know, and pubs. You know, they are important. They are magical. They do these things to us. And um, you know, as much as we might want to rationalise our way out of it, it's you know, it's it's our taste. It's our memories. It's our it is home. It's it's you know, the warm arm round your shoulder and a, a comfortable seat. It's all those things that that we need as human beings. Lockdown was such a difficult time for pubs, but I wondered as a, a beer writer and a, someone who knows a lot about the beer industry, were there positives for brewers? Because I'm just thinking, I've made more online beer orders in the last six months than I have in the previous 10 years. And I know about so many more breweries now than I did before. Ha have there been some positives for the way that breweries connect with people? I think there has been for some. The key there was whether people had access to to packaging, um, to small pack packaging. So if they could, if they had a canning line, which are very very expensive, or if they were able to bottle at speed, which a lot of small breweries aren't, then yes, they made those direct connections with with people who drank their beer. You know, some of them have have kind of done okay. Uh, and managed to kind of up their sales to, you know, you and I who put in beer orders and act surprised when another, you know, crate of beer comes through the door. But I think for other brewers who who brewed mainly in cask, it's been an absolute unmitigated disaster because, the, you know, you can only buy cask in a pub. You can't re recreate cask beer at home. You know, they didn't have the facilities, can, you know, canning lines take months to order and cost tens of thousands of pounds and mobile canners were run off their feet and they just didn't have the... The infrastructure to do it really and and brewers have been a little bit left out of sort of the grants and the you know the sort of government help so it, it's been really really difficult for, for a lot of brewers um, and the amount of beer consumed is you know although we've, we feel like we've been drinking a lot at home obviously most beers drunk in the pub so the amount of beer consumed has, has plummeted as well that's that really that is fascinating i mean speaking empirically from a personal point of view it's, it's quite the opposite <laughs> <laughs> for lockdown but yeah no I suppose I mean that must be the case obviously yeah I mean you, you just can't recreate the cask experience at home you just cannot that is something no. you can only get in a pub yeah yeah and we've, we've really missed out on that I spoke to the guy who founded drydrinker.com because I just sort of needed to keep a bit of a lid on drinking during lockdown and found their range just blew my mind as someone who's always been interested in lower alcohol beers. The packaging they use, double boxed, and then it has dividers for each individual can and bottle. And he was saying, 
the cost of that packaging is astronomical. And they wish that there was a logistically a way of getting it back from the consumer because it protects the beer so well that then to just put it in your recycling is ridiculous. There's so many logistical elements that every brewery would need in place in order to make them sort of effective in a mail order scenario. That's right. And I, th- I believe there's been a massive shortage of cardboard as well, which looking at my recycling every week, I can well believe, you know, so much stuff being delivered. And glass. Yeah, yeah. In fact, this is a side issue. There's a, a documentary I once watched on a plane about the international glass sort shortage, which is terrifying. People steal sand from the desert in big tankers. <laughs> Um, and there's a big black market in sand because we're building so many buildings out of glass that we're literally running out of sand. Hi, John. David Cameron here. Really enjoying Moon Underwater. Absolutely brilliant. I know you're manically busy, doing a great job, by the way. It's bloody hard. I think the team's coping extremely well. But do you have a moment for a word? I'd love to come on the Moon Underwater. Um, I'm on this number and V-free. All good wishes, DC. So I think we should begin to erect the foundations of your dream pub, Emma. So you must have seen every example of every type of pub there is. When you imagine you're sort of wandering down an alley to that unexpected pub, (laughs) what sort of style of pub sort of do you like and what sort of style of pub reflects you? Um, I think think it really varies. I always think, you know, the perfect pub is kind of, you should walk away from it not knowing why it was the perfect pub. You can't quite put your finger on on what made it the perfect pub. And I'm not the first to say that, but, you know, that kind of idea, I, I don't want to walk away saying, oh, it, it was great beer or it was or it was great food or, you know, weren't the loos really nice or, you know, wasn't that, wasn't, that, you know, the bar staff friendly or something. Uh, you know, I want to, I want to walk away and just go, oh, that was absolutely fantastic and you know not be I think if you can start to pick things out then you're almost sort of saying well other things weren't as good I think it should be sort of just effortless and comfortable and um, when I think of some of the pubs that I feel the happiest in there's a pub in Brighton called the the basket makers and it's just a little backstreet boozer but it's got this quirkiness about it I like a, a quirk in people and pubs it's got these tins all over the wall little like cigarette tins coffee tins uh biscuit tins tins that you'd get like a little miniature of whiskey in or whatever uh, and they're all screwed to the wall and and people people of brighton who are you know a creative bunch leave messages and and stuff in these tins for other drinkers to find at a later date and uh so you can you know you can go in and you can find little poems people have written i mean some of it's a bit you know lewd but uh you can find you know some really nice stuff you find poems i once found uh, a couple of quid sellotape to uh, a piece of paper saying if you're if you're absolutely skin buy a drink with this if you're not put it back for a person who is i found another one with a child's booty in it that said we came here on the day we found uh we were pregnant and uh today we had our daughter christened and here's one of her first booties you know these things that are just wow you know sometimes you've got to open a lot of tins to get get nice stuff like that but (laughs) (laughs) you know it's fun opening the tins and uh, and you know it's just something odd and quirky and you know i love i also love pubs that that kind of engage with their their local community and i think i think lockdown was a was was a great time for seeing that around pubs some of the pubs who really stepped up so there's a pub 
uh, in Brighton called The Bevy, and they, a community-owned pub, but one of the only, or the, the first anyway, community-owned pubs on a on a council estate in the UK. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a really lively, thriving, interesting place. They have a lot of regulars who rely on that place for, like, um, meals and things, and they just Im- pretty much immediately... Back in when when everything first kicked off, they immediately started providing Meals on Wheels for free to a lot of their regulars who couldn't get out and wouldn't be able to cook a meal otherwise. And there's been so many examples of that, of pubs, you know, stepping up to the plate and doing what, what pubs should do, that welcoming heart of community kind of stuff. Not in a kind of a twee way, but in a in a real, you know, getting your hands dirty kind of way. And that's kind of what I love, I guess. I love that everything you've mentioned when I've asked you to describe what your pub looks like is actually, it's a more emotional, more community-driven spirit than actually saying, well, I want it to have this type of booth or I want it to have this sort of bar. It shows that you truly, truly understand the heart of the pub. (laughs) But I think that is such a good point that you kind of, when you leave a pub and you think, oh, that was a really good night... It is this indefinable thing, and it's something I don't know. It's yes, I I often think it's something to do with if a pub's really nice, it doesn't matter if it's busy because it feels like everyone is part of this same kind of spirit. I think I remember like really good nights in Bristol or in the Hare in the Hill or the Hillgrove, and it just felt like everyone there was on the same page. Yes, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It was a very very nice feeling of festivity and stuff. And sometimes it's such small things that the first time I went to the Star in Oxford, it's just the fact that it's on a residential street and it should, by all logic, be a house. It's just in between these houses. And then we went in and they had a really obscure Frank Zapper album in a, a stack of about 60 or 80 CDs. <laughs> and it's not like, it's not a heritage pub. It doesn't feel like it's 300 years old it the beer selection like the ale selection isn't always got something i like necessarily but there's just something about the way the light comes in through the windows at the front on a summer afternoon that just makes you think in 2003 yeah in 2003 (laughs) just makes you think i will never ever forget this pub whereas i could go to you know there are pubs near me which are sort of very for want of a better phrase they're sort of a, a Nigel Farage, Boris Johnson version of what a true pub is with with bombardier and beams. And as much as they look like what everyone describes as their dream pub, they're not necessarily quite right. But in this unexpected pub, Emma, that doesn't know why it's so perfect and which you leave a little bit of yourself in every time you go, what are your two draft items? Right, well, this for a beer writer has been incredibly difficult. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I said earlier, you know, Cascale is the is the the only thing really that you can't replicate outside a pub. You know, it's a it's a living thing. It's uh, why it's so magical, you know, it's got this this heartbeat. It's re-fermenting in the in the cask underneath your feet. Um it's you know, it's this this thing that changes over the course of 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 its life, you know, and only you can only drink it for the first three or five days it's in the pub. I mean, it's you can't have that at home. You just can't, uh, you know, not unless you're having a a party and you can set up a stillage and keep it at the right temperature and everybody can drink it quickly enough. So, uh, you know, obviously at least one of my lines had to be cask. So 
I've chosen uh, Harvey's Sussex Best from just a few miles away from me over the over the downs, walking distance, only about five or six miles from me in Lewis. And it's just a it's just you know it's just a beautiful beer. It's, it's sort of conker brown and uh, uh, fruity, but also with this uh, Harvey's have got this amazing yeast they've had since the fifties that they just kind of crop off the top and repitch into the next batch. It's and it's got this depth of flavour and this also this wild element to it as well it's got a bit of a wild imposter in the yeast and uh and so it's just got this sort of slightly funky slightly fruity that that pint was um in the days when everybody had a, a you know my usual i'll just have my usual that was my usual and uh you know now you know beer then exploded and we now have probably three thousand breweries in this country but i'll still go back to a to a, a well poured pint of harvey's any any time of day. So I know Harvey's uh, Sussex Best very well. I'm very fond of it. But as a professional beer appreciator, if I were to give you three of what I would say are its tasting notes, can you tell me if I'm right? <laughs> You're all, you'll always be right because tasting notes are so individual. I mean, I think I think people, you know, they often think that what a beer writer does is kind of sit here tasting beer and writing tasting notes, but it's more like what you said I'd do around pubs. I very rarely talk about exactly what the beer tastes like. It's more about the feeling and the impression and the what it gives you. And so, you know, it's your mouth. Tell me your tasting notes. It is my mouth. Oh, well, I would say caramel, mm-hmm. acorn, mm-hmm. and you know that mixed peel that you put in sort of Christmas yeah. food? It's like currants and sultanas and those little chunks of yeah. orange and lemon peel. I get that from Sussex Best. Yeah, so they, I mean that that's good. Yeah, yeah, you get little yellow candy peels. They remind me of the nineteen seventies for some reason. But um, yeah, I think well that sort of dark fruits that the stone fruit, you know, dark dark fruits and kind of Christmas cakey. I think is uh, you know yes caramel. Yes, it probably got some caramel element to the malts and uh, an acorn. I really like. You know, that's not a tasting note we often use because we re- we rarely chew on an acorn. But I know what you mean. Yeah. You know, I know what you mean by acorn. It's just that slight dryness. Yeah. Of sort of woodiness. Yeah. That means it's not too sort of claggy. You mm-hmm. can absolutely demolish yeah. them. <laughs> yes, absolutely. The other special thing about cask. I mean, I'm, I might be being very naive here, but what do uh, many other countries do cask? ale in the way that Britain does. No, they don't. It's, it's but literally you could only get it in the UK. It's it's virtually uniquely British, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's a few brewers now in the States trying to recreate it, but they're trying to recreate it after recipes they've, you know, they've learned from the UK. It's not something that's developed anywhere else. It's, you know, it's something that, you know, we can rightly be proud of as British people. There's other things we might not be so proud of, but, <laughs> but cask ale, I think we can rightly be proud of. as. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I do sometimes wonder why it's not celebrated more as in kind of Britain, British food and drink. You know, this is a unique product. It's a specialist product. It's a, you know, a, a loved product. You know, when brewers come from other parts of the world, you kind of think they're going to, you know, they're going to want the, the newest kind of... Uh, you know, massively hopped or, you know, funky ingredients or all this kind of stuff. When brewers come from other parts of the world, they don't want that. They want you to take them to a pub that does good cask ale and they want to drink that and they, you know, revel in the fact that we do it so well, better than anywhere else on earth. And I just wish it was celebrated a little bit more and more understood as well. Yeah. 
So what's your second draft choice, Emma? So my second draft, yeah, again, I did wrestle with this. So, yeah, as I said, Harvey's was my, used to be my usual uh, in the days when I had a, a usual. And I suppose things changed around sort of um, 10 to 15 years ago with this massive explosion in the beer scene, uh, kind of, you know, driven, you know, by this rediscovering styles that had been in the States, but also rediscovering our own heritage. And, uh, you know, right near the beginning of that, um, in 2009, a, a brewery was set up in London, in Bermondsey, the Colonel, uh, in in a, a railway arch in Bermondsey. And I remember going there on uh, what's now become the Bermondsey Beer Mile. You can go to lots of different tap rooms, uh, direct drink, direct from the brewery, a lot of small breweries. The Colonel is still there. And uh, I remember tasting their beer and being just utterly, utterly blown away at the tastes that beer could have. I mean, I've always loved ale. I've always loved beer. You know, I've brewed my own beer. I've written about beer for ages. But, you know, this kind of, oh, my God, beer can taste like this. So anyway, I picked one of their beers. I picked their Export India Porter, which is, uh, you know, a, a dark beer. I thought, I'll have a pale and a dark. I very nearly had two pale cascales but i think that's because i missed cascales so very much over lockdown that you've know, become a bit obsessed with it but um i thought no i'm going to pick i'm going to pick a dark i'm going to pick it on keg uh and you know i'm going to have a nice dark hoppy tasty porter you know which is and that porter is a, a heritage based on a heritage recipe itself you know based on a, a a very old recipe and it's you know it speaks of london porter speaks of london that was the drink of london that's what I'd have. Perfect beer. Wow. I really get, I'm getting ASMR vibes from you talking about beer. <laughs> <laughs> Goosebumps, that's great. You, you should do just sort of uh, beer writing audiobooks to yeah. help people sort of meditate. Yeah, it's fantastic. What a great choice. In your pub, Emma, we've got uh, Harvey Sussex Best on cask. We've got a keg of Colonel's Export India Porter. Uh, but what are your bottled items? And I'm guessing this is going to be an interesting uh, interpretation of bottled items from you. Yes. One of them has my absolute heart and one of them is very, very interesting. Uh, I'll start with the one that has my heart and that's the one I'm drinking right now, actually. I'm drinking uh, St. Austell's Proper Job. Oh, Wow. wow. Which I just, oh, nice. it's 5.5 in the bottle. I think it's less on cask. Now, I wrestled with myself about this because I did want it on cask, but I decided to put it in a bottle. It's, it is one of, it probably is my favourite bottled beer, uh, and particularly favourite bottled beer that you can get quite readily uh, in, you know, you can get it in my Tesco Express. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, it's, I just think it's this amazing fruity bit. It's one of the first kind of, uh, beers that really went mainstream with american hops in a in a very traditional brewery you know st Austell is a very old traditional brewery and it was designed by um roger ryman who's um who was an incredible head brewer and a lovely lovely man who sadly died um uh last year way before his time so it has these fond memories for me of of him but also of of cornwall cornwall's you know i live in brighton but i love holidaying in cornwall you know, I'm a camper. I've got a motorhome. You know, I love just going to Cornwall. Like, it takes my breath away every time I go there. And and proper job reminds me of, uh, you know, clifftop walks and um, sunshine and beaches and being relaxed and and happy and 
and you know holidays and uh and in fact the only time i've been sat inside a pub uh the only time i i sat inside a pub during the uh any of the lockdowns uh you know from last because I, i'm unfortunately on the shielding list so i haven't been able to do what i'd like to do but i did go to a pub and sit inside once and that was my um my 50th birthday last year was in September and it was at a point when the pubs were open and we were in Cornwall. I didn't expect to be on a campsite in Cornwall for my 50th birthday, but that's where we were. And we and I, I said, right, I want to go for lunch in a pub and have proper job on cask. And that's what I did. And so it's got a lot, you know, it has got a lot of memories for me and uh, a lot of love. And uh, and you can buy it in the Tesco Express, sometimes three for a fiver. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I wasn't expecting to recognise so many of the drinks that you're picking, and I've I've had two of them, so I'm feeling quite pleased with myself. When I went to my Tesco today, just going up the beer aisle, it did make me think. When I was a kid, I remember the the beer aisle was sort of lagers, and then you might get Boddingtons and John Smiths, Old Peculiar, and Guinness. And now they must have a hundred easily a hundred different beers so we are kind of living in a a golden age of availability and and so many small companies available in mainstream locations which is which is really great it is i mean i you know i'd still try and support independent bottle shops when i can you do get so much more variety in there but but you know not everyone's got that luxury not everyone lives in a in a town where you can you know access those beers but there's still very good beers to be had in supermarkets uh, from great breweries yeah so your second bottle please emma now my second bottle is something a bit different and a bit special so um there was a collaboration a few years ago between thornbridge brewery in bakewell uh, brooklyn brewery surprisingly enough in new york and uh tom oliver's cider i remember snake bite from my youth and I don't remember it fondly, really. This is a drink of another level. So it's called Serpent. And um, it was brewed, Garrett Oliver, who's the head brewer at Brooklyn, who's also um, the, the sort of uh, messiah for food and beer pairing. You know, he's written this amazing book, The, the Brewmaster's Table, and um, very, very knowledgeable about um, beer tasting and, and how it pairs with food. So he brewed this beer with Thornbridge Brewery, who, uh, you know, you can get their beers in, some of their beers in supermarkets, excellent brewery up in, up in the Peak District. And they brewed this beer and then they fermented it on top of the lees from Oliver's Cider. Oliver's Cider is a very small cidery uh, in Herefordshire. And the lees are kind of what's left in the barrel when the when the cider's fermented. So, so you know, bits of apple and lots of yeast, lots of really funky wild yeast in these barrels. And uh, they fermented it on top of that. And they created this um, beautiful beer in gorgeous 750ml uh, sharing bottles, like a bottle of wine. So it's not something you would ever get on draft or, you know, it's not something you'd buy and just have one yourself. I remember when I tasted it, you know, I obviously taste a lot of beer. can sometimes get a bit disillusioned with the beer scene. It's like, oh, another hazy pale or, you know, another fruited sour. Okay, what's that one like? And this, I remember a friend brought it around to my house and I tasted it and it was, it was like nothing else I'd ever had. This kind of combination of the brewery and the orchard and this wildness and this you know, almost a, a, a terroir about it with this it's come from these apples come from these very barrels and and it's it's a belgian uh sort of golden ale 
that just but you, you wouldn't if you were given it in a blind tasting you probably think i don't actually know what that is I, i'm not sure mm. what that is as in you wouldn't be able to tell if it was cider or beer no because it's got that cider-esque element to it it's but it's you know i'm not i wasn't a cider lover until that that then became my my gateway beer into cider um for definite into real cider i mean that's a whole other story yeah but it's it's got this uh, just these qualities that I thought, I you know, I sort of thought, oh, I thought I'd tasted it all and I haven't. And there's this new, exciting area to taste. And now there's, you know, there's more of these beer hybrid, beer cider hybrids coming out. You know, I got sent one today um, from Wiper and True down in Bristol. Um, you know, they've, they've done this thing, that, you know, it's a 2018 vintage, this uh, orchard ale, they're calling it. And uh, you know, there's a lot more of this kind of crossover happening it's it's an ancient thing it's not something that's never happened before but it's it's very new to the scene now in terms of a revival of it and and the types of breweries that are engaging with it and the types of uh, very quality products that they're producing so i would want that sadly there's hardly any bottles of serpent left in the world <laughs> well i've just I, i've just looked it up it's nine and a half percent but then you think about it and that well that's a weak weak wine and you should drink it like a wine it should be appreciated like it exactly and yeah you drink it like a wine you drink it in in wine glasses you share it it's you know it's it's um yeah it's it's strong for a beer but you know that's not how you're drinking it yeah that sounded. I mean, the way you were describing it, it reminded me of you know in Fantastic Mr. Fox when they break into the cider storage, <laughs> the cider cellar, and they t- the little foxes taste cider for the first time. It, it reminded me of that. But yeah, that incre- that sounds amazing. This like basically a new flavour you'd not tasted before. Yeah, yeah, and and not something you know I expect to kind of come across really. Yeah. Well, that finishes off your selections for the draft and bottles and what a superb pub this is shaping up to be. But now, before the ad break, we head over to Robin for the Moon Underwater Pub Quiz. Okay, everybody, pens out, eyes down, it's time for the quiz. Played for Zimbabwe, but he was born in South Africa. I know Alaska is bigger. That wasn't the question. Put your phone away. Right, Michael Jackson's Funky Monkey had been deducted five points. Thank you, John. Yes, welcome to the Moon Underwater Pub Quiz. So, yes, every week I ask you, you the listeners at home, and you, our guest, Emma, a few questions, and you can take part just for fun. I'm going to read out the questions now, then there'll be an advert break, and... uh, then I'll read the answers at the end. There's no pressure, there's no prizes, so don't worry about, you know, I'm not putting you on the spot. But uh, this week, I thought I'd do a quiz about pubs. So three questions about pubs. First off, we've got question one. The Tan Hill Inn in the Yorkshire Dales is A, the UK's smallest pub, B, the UK's most haunted pub, or C, the UK's highest pub. Okay, have a think about that one. Emma's nodding her head with a, with an air of knowledge, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Question two. The nutshell in Bury St Edmunds is A, the UK's smallest pub, B, the UK's most haunted pub, or C, the UK's highest pub. Same options for that question. Good. Yeah. Good. Okay, that's the nutshell in Bury St Edmunds. Question three. So this is the last question of the quiz. What is notable about the Ship and Shovel pub in Charing Cross, London? Is it A, it was the inspiration for George Orwell's Moon Underwater? B, 
it is split across two buildings. C, it is the smallest pub in London. Or D, it is Chris Rear's favourite pub. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> so those are your questions for this week's Moon Underwater pub quiz. Great quiz. Uh, thank you so much to uh, the lovely Robin Allender there for this week's pub quiz. Uh, and for those of you who aren't subscribed on Patreon, you will now hear some advertisements. For those of you who are, some uh, light relief in the form of uh, a few ambient chords. Uh, and if you would like to sign up to Patreon to support the Moon Underwater, there are various benefits at various tiers, but every tier gains you access to the Moon Underwater Social Club Facebook page, where you can converse with other Moon Underers. Uh, about some of the info we've talked about on here, your favourite pubs, and also we will uh, post the odd snippet of fun uh, on there. So we will see you very shortly. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back, where in the moon underwater, what a pub is taking shape. It's an unexpected pub. It's a pub that doesn't know why it's perfect. And you leave a bit of yourself in it every time you go. It's Emma Inch, celebrated beer writer's dream pub, containing thus far uh, Harvey Sussex Best, Colonel Export India Porter, Proper Job, and a Thornbridge Brooklyn Tom Oliver mashup serpent. But before we find out what Emma is picking next, we're going to hear the answers to the pub quiz, Robin. 
Thank you, John. Yes, so the first question in this week's pub quiz, which was all about pubs, was the Tan Hill Inn in the Yorkshire Dales. Is it the UK's smallest pub, most haunted pub, or the highest pub? Do you either of you know the answer to that one? I think I know the answer to that one. I think it's... Can I say the answer? Yes, yeah, yeah. go for it. I think it's the highest. Didn't some walker turn up there recently? It was in the news, wasn't it? Somebody appeared there for some reason. You've been lost for a while or something. I think. Oh, really? But I think it it's is the highest. Your, is it the highest? Yeah, you're yeah. you're bang right. It is the highest pub. I don't know if that is that the same story of that woman who joined a search party that was looking for her. I can't remember if that was. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope but, so. Um, <laughs> but the the Tan Hill Inn in the Yorkshire Dales is uh, one thousand seven hundred and thirty-two feet above sea level and was named the highest pub in the British Isles. Famously, people often get snowed in there. In 2009, revellers celebrating New Year's Eve at the pub were unable to leave for three days following a heavy snowfall. It sounds like bliss. <laughs> <laughs> that's just great. Okay, question two was the nutshell in Bury St. Edmunds. Was that the UK's smallest pub, most haunted pub? Or, well, it's not the highest pub. I've been there, so I know what that Have is. You? Yeah. Uh, I was taken there by the head brewer from Green King, and uh, it's the smallest pub, isn't it? It, it is the smallest pub, yeah. yeah. Wow, yeah. so it's what was that like? It's uh, 15 feet by seven. Yeah, it's really, I mean, it is really small. So there was uh, me, uh, a fellow beer writer, and this uh, head brewer, and then I think there was a party of maybe three or four other people. The pub was full. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was kind That was kind of it. It's it's a cute little place, yeah, really sweet. Lots of, you know, stuff hanging from the walls and, you know, uh, yeah, very cute little place. And uh, Cool. How big's the bar? I mean, how many beers can they have on? Well, the, the bar's kind of a, a reasonable length. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a decent length bar. From what I remember, it, you know, it was kind of decently stocked with beers and stuff. Yeah, it was it was good, yeah. And, the, you know, a few people can stand outside next to a little bench, but, <laughs> yeah, it's small. <laughs> I wonder if they do a carvery. <laughs> Question three was, um, what's notable about the ship and shovel in Charing Cross in London? Was it that it was an inspiration for George Orwell's Moon Underwater essay? Is it split across two buildings? Is it the smallest pub in London? Or is it Chris Rear's favourite pub? I don't know this one. I think I've been there. Mm, I've been there. I think I went there before watching Al Alistair Green's film at the Prince of Wales cinema. I think it's set across two buildings. It is, yeah. So it's the only pub... I think it's the only pub where it's actually... It might even be the only building which is a registered address, but it's two built separate buildings, if you see what I mean. What The only property. So it's like you can go in on one side of the road or the other, and there's a cellar connecting the two. Yeah, it's quite a nice little pub. Well, the side I went in is. Maybe one side's nice and the other side's horrible. So, <laughs> oh, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. But it's great. Yeah, the ship and shovel. Um, yeah, two buildings. So that thus endeth the pub quiz. Okay, great quiz. Yet another great quiz. 100% record on good quizzes from Robin. <laughs> uh, but we now come to decide, Emma, your two spirits. Or we, I think we also allow liqueurs, anything sort of, that would that, anything that would be on the back shelf. The back shelf just for birthdays, you mean? Yes. So, <laughs> are, are you much of a spirit drinker? And if so, what are your what are your choices? I like some spirits. Um, I don't often drink them when I'm out. I do kind of live by the rule of they're just for birthdays. Um, so I'm not. I'm absolutely not one of those people who, um, you know, someone will come up at the end of the evening and go tequila. Uh, I I have an absolute no rule and uh, although people will sometimes still put one in front of me I never ever 
ever drink it. And uh, that's, you know, years of practice have got me to this stage. But, I, you know, I'm, I, I do like spirits. I, and, um, you know, occasionally, you know, if it's, if it's not a night out, I might have one in a pub. And also I, I have, you know, I, I like going to drinks with other people, going to pubs with other people. So I want them to have drinks that they like as well. So one of them that I've chosen is my dad. Uh, he lives in the States and he lived in Kentucky for a while. Um, so when I went to visit him there, I got quite into bourbon. And uh, I went to visit Maker's Mark uh, Distillery in uh, in Loretto in Kentucky, uh, which was an amazing experience. You know, you cannot believe that every bottle of Maker's Mark that ever produced comes from this sort of small kind of wooden building and is all hand-dipped, you know, the wax is hand-dipped. Um, and I had a chance, opportunity to do that, went on this little tour and had an opportunity to dip my own bottle of Maker's Mark. And um, so, yeah, that has some nice memories for me. And, uh, you know, if I, if, I, uh, if I see it in a bar, I will... You know, kind of be drawn to a little maker's mark and I always have it in my cupboard at home so I do like like a bit of that so I don't know if either of you two are bourbon drinkers I mean I like whiskey but I've never really mm -hmm. got on to bourbon what, what mm -hmm. is the difference with bourbon is there a... so I, I think the difference is bourbon is made of rye right, rather than yeah. uh barley mm. is I think but someone will shout me down about that <laughs> I've got a couple of friends who are really into their whiskies and bourbons and we were in New York and we went to this this sort of meat emporium. I'm a vegetarian, but I watched them eat these sort of <laughs> incredible platters of brisket and pulled pork and they ordered what they called a flight of whiskies. So I think they must have been like pretty hefty measures because in America, what I love about spirits in America is they just, just pour what looks right. Uh, they had a flight of bourbons and I tried one and I, as much as I have tried over the years to get into neat spirits it's just instant heartburn <laughs> and my body my body is protecting me i think from what could lay ahead do you do you uh, have a bourbon with uh, some water or with ice you can, yeah i would have one with ice um you can mix it with whatever you want i mean uh, i love it with lots and lots of ice maybe a little drip of water is lovely it's also the you know the foundation of a old fashioned cocktail so, you know, if I was to have a cocktail somewhere, I would I would have an old fashioned kind of the basis of that. So that's, you know, got some orange and bitters flavours in there as well. So that's that's really nice. And uh, yeah, you can have it. I mean, obviously you can have it with Coke, you know, Jack Daniels and Coke. You know, that's a infamous kind of drink that um, people drank at university. And I thought, how can you afford a bottle of whiskey? Yeah. Spending too much on beer. <laughs> <laughs> the one that... Uh... I was with Lloyd Langford and Ed Gamble, and the one that they really liked was called Noah's Mill Whiskey, which is a, a bourbon, but it is 57.5%. Yes. Which will take this your face off. This is the nature of things, yes. Yeah. Uh, so what's your second spirit? My second one is uh, local to me. There's some very good people living in Brighton, and some of those people create Brighton Gin. The story is that the founder, Cathy Caton, who who actually works, she's on um, uh, BBC local radio, and she also does so much good in in our community. As does the company. She, uh, you know, she wanted a, a gin that that um, would perhaps not make you feel so muggy in the morning. Because she likes gin, but she also likes getting up and running and so apparently the Brighton gin recipe is brewed with it I think it's I think it's more milk thistle or something that um, is supposed to be somehow protective so that you know they they produce this gin uh, it's just beautifully packaged really well presented it's got the it's the colors of the um, sort of the railings along the prom in Brighton so it's a very distinctive act sort of aqua kind of blue the labeling and everything as I say they do such amazing things in our community around pride they 
they raise a lot of they produce a special gin and they raise a lot of money for pride and they also uh, during the uh, during lockdown they teamed up with a, a local sort of apothecary is the word I think and they produced uh, hand sanitizer so they was they were selling that but every every bottle a person bought another bottle would be donated to the NHS so they were donating it to local NHS services including uh, mental health services which I think got very overlooked uh, in some ways um, during the, the, the pandemic so yeah good people making a, a really nice drink. I'm looking at the bottle now on in my mind obviously because uh, we're at the moon underwater where there's no internet <laughs> it's a gorgeous bottle it looks like you would find it in a Victorian medicine chest but not in a kind of ah yes not in a twee way it just looks like you it, it, it would be in that in or or on the sort of dressing table, it looks like it might contain a tincture. Yes, like it's that. really nice. <laughs> That's We are going to hand over to the lovely Robin because it's that time of the show where we add a publication to the Moon Underwater Library. Robin, what have you got for us this week? Thanks, John. Yeah, so um, I mean, I'm interested to ask Emma what got you into writing about beer because we, we every week we talk, we do a little pub library thing where we in- include a book where there's some nice writing about pubs or beer usually. But what what was the thing that kind of inspired you in that direction? I think oh, that's a bit of a long story, really, so I'll condense it, don't worry. Uh, so I, I always wanted to write. That's something I've always wanted to do. I remember meeting my partner for the you know on our first date. She was quite forward, said she wanted a baby. I said I wanted to be a writer. <laughs> that's a bit, how's this going to work? But anyway, it kind of did. So I had another career for a very long time. And then I started, uh, as well as my career, which is a very stressful career, I uh, started DJing in pubs. I used to play a lot of rockabilly music in pubs. Always loved beer, always been, you know, there's never been a time when I didn't like beer. It's always, I can't remember never liking the taste of it. Um, but anyway, DJing, ended up getting into sort of local community radio with a rockabilly show. And then beer kind of kicked off and uh, and I thought, oh yeah, beer, radio, radio, beer, you know, then maybe this might work. And um, so I had the first radio show on FM in the UK about beer. Kind of went from there. I kind of thought, actually, when I'm doing these shows, I'm writing. This is what I've always wanted to do. I started to realise that, you know, creative nonfiction was way more than what I thought it was. I've always thought I wanted to write fiction and I still, you know, have that, you know, that novel in the back of my mind. But um, but I realised creative nonfiction could be as beautiful and lyrical and as meaningful as that. And so I, you know, slipped down that path. And when people started paying me, I thought, I'll stay here. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's great. Well, I love the way that, yeah, you can bring in very nice style in writing about beer and writing about pubs. And it's very, quite literary the way you write as well. So it's great. Which All of which brings me on to the book. Well, it's not really a book. It's a poem for this uh, week's pub library which was a poem Carol Ann Duffy wrote when she was Poet Laureate. Are you familiar with this at all? Um, I don't know yes. the poem, but I, obviously I know Carol Ann Duffy. Yeah, uh, yeah it's called uh, John Barleycorn, which is obviously a classic name for a pub. So it's a very long poem, and it, I'm, I'm going to read a few verses of it, but it's uh, it, it mentions over 100 different pubs. <laughs> Which is great. So I'll just go through. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'll read. Um, I'll read a few verses. He moved through Britain, bright and dark, like ale in glass. I saw him run across the fields towards the gamekeeper, the poacher, and the blacksmith's arms. 
He knew the ram, the lamb, the lion and the swan, white heart, blue bull, red dragon, fox and hounds. I saw him in the three goat's heads, the black bull and dun cow, shoulder of mutton, griffin, unicorn, green man, beer born, good health, long life, John Barleycorn. I saw him festively, when people sang for victory, for love and New Year's Eve, in the raven and the bird in hand, the golden eagle, the kingfisher, the dove. I saw him grieve and mourn, a shadow at the bar, in the falcon, the marsh harrier, the sparrow hawk, the barn owl, cuckoo, heron, nightingale, a pint of bitter in the Jenny Wren for my green man, alone, forlorn, John Barleycorn. Britain's soul, as the crow flies, so flew he. I saw him in the holly bush, the yew tree, the royal oak, the ivy bush, the linden. I saw him in the forester, the woodman. He history. I saw him in the Wellington, the Nelson, Marquis of Granby, wicked lady, bishop's finger. I saw him in the ship, the golden fleece, the flask, the railway inn, the Robin Hood, and Little John, my green man, legend strong, reborn, John Barleycorn. Wonderful. It's nice, isn't it? <laughs> it's just Long nice live to say John Barleycorn. Yeah, it's just nice to say all those <laughs> pub names. <laughs> but it's also nice to feel that that sort of inheritance, that tradition of folklore around pubs that so often when you hear about pubs, it's either pubs are struggling, so it's bad news, or it's people are drinking too much or being antisocial or this pub got raided or shut down. It's just so nice to actually think, no, there is, like you were saying, there is a legacy of communities and a legacy of meeting places, places where you find tradespeople, places where you find support, where you make connections. And, and that's been going on for centuries and centuries and it's it is something to be cherished yeah and it is something in all those names as well which are a part of history and they kind of go back and there are all these origins of pub names it's kind of that's what i love about that that poem yeah and if you want to learn about a town or a village or a hamlet or a city the, probably the best way to learn about its history is through the pubs yeah <laughs> especially if it's small places i mean most towns have a museum tucked away somewhere in someone's front room or in a community center but so much history is in in the the pubs on the street, which is why it's so sad when they go. Mm-hmm. It is, it is. Well, thank you for adding that to the pub library, Robin. We don't just have a library; we also have a jukebox here, Emma. And as you are double qualified to select an album for the Moon Underwater Jukebox, as a not only a, a beer writer but also as a beer DJer, so. Uh, what what's your <laughs> album of choice that you would like to hear on a pub jukebox? Oh, yeah, so I, I mean, I really did struggle with this. I did, you know, I'm, I'm saying that all the time, but I have racked my soul about this because, yeah, I used to play rockabilly and, and vintage uh, rhythm and blues and blues boppers, you know, sort of really old stuff, and I thought, oh, I'm going to put something like that in there. But then I kind of, yeah, then I kind of thought about what, what pubs mean to me, and um, in the end, I have come up with Billy Bragg, Back to Basics. Um, and, you know, I've always loved Billy Bragg it's since even before I was old enough to go to pubs. He's slightly older than me. You know, I even went to one of his, you know, online gigs during lockdown. And I think he's one of the few, uh, one of my heroes who's maintained his integrity. I have um, some heroes I wouldn't want to meet, but I think Billy Bragg, I, I still absolutely would. And he's kind of kept this uh, energy and this kind of faith and, and hope that things will get better. He's got this kind of 
positivity about him and but but not in a in a passive way you know he he's happy to make changes kind of thing and um and i think that's kind of reflects where pubs are you know they've kind of they've got this integrity to them and and that album back to basics it kind of collects his first two albums between the walls ep all together on one album so it's got like love songs saturday boy and milkman of human kindness and you know where do we fall in love we fall in love with in pubs you know pubs are about love and meeting people and you know going on dates and you know getting excited by the possibility of love and it, it also have songs that people know so it's got between the wars it's got new england people like something that they can sing along to but it's it's also and importantly for me it's it's got some political songs some protest songs because i think pubs are a place of protest they're a place where protests are sometimes born where ideas are battered about and um talked about where the seeds of change can grow you know I was involved in trade unions for a while and that's where we had our best meetings and our best ideas and you know if you talk to anybody about you know who started a new movement or something you know often the conversation will start with well we were sat in the pub and I thought that maybe x y or z and um, you know and so a lot of movements have been started there and of course Stonewall Inn was a pub one of the most famous drinking venues in the in the world that, that you know we still hark back to when we talk about about gay rights so yeah billy bragg i don't want to change the world i'm not looking for a new england i'm just looking for another girl i don't want to change the world i'm not looking for a new england i'm just looking for another girl Before we get to your uh, final choice, I remember uh, years ago talking on the radio show about how much I love going to the pub on my own. And we were sort of having this discussion about whether that's actually a very common thing or whether that's just me. But certainly Robin and I, we really treasure just popping out on your own (laughs) and having a pub and reading the paper. And I remember a female listener emailed into the radio show and said, I would love to do that, but I I can't because for me it's a daunting experience and I I get attention I don't want and if you see a, a woman alone at a bar men take that as an invitation to start a conversation that may not be wanted and I, I wondered what you think the barriers are to getting more women involved in the, the pub industry in brewing in getting engaged with beer and sort of pub life and, and if that was something you felt strongly about. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I I love a pint on my own. That is one of my luxuries. And if I'm staying in a in a town, which, you know, in pre-lockdown days, I was often in towns on my own, you know, working the various places. Uh, and the first thing I'll do is look what pubs are good to go to and I'll, I'll go and explore them of an evening. But I know most women don't. I'm, you know, a big butch dyke, to be, to be fair, <laughs> you know. I've got a quiff normally at the moment. I haven't had my hair cut yet, but I, that's hence the hat. But, you know, I'm, I'm not the sort of woman who often gets approached in a pub by a man. Not often. Not for that reason, anyway. And also, I suppose I kind of think, I kind of feel going to the pubs is part of my work. You know, I'm, I'm learning about different places, you know. It's a lovely kind of work, but um, that's how I kind of frame it, I suppose, and that's how I feel comfortable going to pubs. There's some that I wouldn't go in on my own. I think in terms of beer, you know, women have been at the heart of beer for, you know, millennia. It was women were the first brewers. Women have always brewed beer. And in, and in many societies, women are still the brewers. I mean, it was always something that happened at home in the same way as making bread. Uh, the woman would make beer. And 
And so it was only when sort of industrialization happened that, that it became this male domain. And unfortunately, that got more and more emphasized, you know, sort of in the in the second half of the, the 20th century with sort of teaming up with um, with sports and stuff like that. And um, when you saw sort of women represented on the TV, I remember when I was growing up, you know, women would always be drinking something else in the pub unless they were like Minnie Coldwell or whatever in the snug at the at the at the Rover's Return who might have a, you know, a, a milk stout or something. Women, it, it wasn't a thing that women were associated with. And um, I think that's that's gradually changing. You know, lots of women work in hospitality and it's it's a good career. You know, I heard you say earlier, you know, it's so sad when we hear about pubs often on the news or whatever. It's because one's closed down or it's because there's been a fight or this, you know something has happened. Um, we don't hear so much about how hospitality is a good career. Let's hope in, in the sort of post-lockdown era, people will start to appreciate that it's a good career choice it's not something that is only for people who just want a stopgap while they're at university and um, and we should kind of encourage that because good hospitality makes our lives worthwhile you know working hard all week and then getting good service at the weekend is is you know really important i think it's a great career for men or for women and i think um it's about constantly sort of challenging those preconceptions of of what a pub is about or what beer is about you know kind of gradually chipping away at that but it's a it's a huge history you know and and it, you know it comes with comes with a lot of baggage you know as these things tend to it's never it's never that easy is it i don't know if you've read a book called dublin pub life and law by kevin c kearns it's sort of a history of, of dublin as a as a pub city and it's absolutely fascinating on the dynamics and the sort of etiquette of women in pubs, you know, from about 50 years ago to 150 years ago. And what's interesting is that there were certain women allowed in pubs who were allowed to drink stout, but they were almost defined by the fact they weren't viewed as women. So they would be sort of very, very old women or, you know, certain classes of women. But it was absolutely unthinkable that a sort of 30-year-old or 20-year-old single woman would ever set foot in a pub. And even if they they would have the kids from the houses, if, if the mum drank Guinness, the kids would come up with pots and they would hand them through the window and the landlord would fill them up and then the kid would go back to the house because the women weren't allowed in. Mm-hmm. And it's that's not a uh, historical thing to a, a lot of extent. You know, even as recently as... 1982 women could be refused service at the bar you know they had to sit on the tables in a sometimes in a different bar they weren't allowed to stand alongside men at the bar you know and it had to go to high court with a couple of journalists over um elvino i think it was called in fleet street uh you know to take this pub to court to to insist that women could be served at the bar this is really recent stuff in terms of women's exclusion from pubs and when we talk about sort of children in pubs if we exclude children we're, we're to a large extent often excluding women as well because you know often then the bloke will go to the pub and watch the sports if, if children aren't allowed it won't be a family thing and uh, you know I, I understand the arguments about some people wanting space in pubs sometimes without children I completely understand that but I think we need to think through those implications that if we if we do stop children going to pubs then we're often stopping women going as well yeah, I mean, I'm, sh- I'm ashamed to say I didn't think of that. You know, when yeah, this... I was just about to say, we've had quite a few people at the Moon Underwater bar children from their dream pub, and <laughs> I have gleefully 
Agreed. And I had just never mm. considered that. So mm. you have educated me uh, on that point, And I'm going to bear that. I'm going to think on as long as there is one room where there's no children. Yeah. <laughs> I th- and I think I think the secret is as well, you know, I love dogs, but I don't want dogs running right, jumping up at my table, you know, licking my face. And in the same way, I don't want children doing the same. You know, I was always taught by my mum, if you're in an environment uh, where people are eating and drinking, it might be their only meal out that year. It might be their anniversary. It might be their, you know, a celebration. Or they could be having a really difficult conversation, you know, that they need, you know, to be private. And so you don't blunder in as a child into those situations. You leave people be and you behave and you don't, you know, it's a place for, for, for families, but it's not a children's playground. So you have a wild card choice in this pub. Oh my, I'm going to struggle to say goodbye to the, the unexpected pub <laughs> with Harvey's best Colonel Export India Porter, St. Ossel's proper job, Thornbridge, Brooklyn, Tom Oliver, Serpent, with Maker's Mark and Brighton Gin, but you've got one free choice. It's anything you want, Emma. Yeah, I have kind of taken the wild card thing, kind of literally. I've gone for, um, <laughs> I've gone for Negroni on tap. Oh! Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Which you may not have been expecting. Love it. But uh, there's one, there's a, there's um, a brewery in Brighton called Brighton Beer, and they've got uh, three pubs. And I know at least uh, they're the only pubs I have ever seen Negroni on tap. And I think there's a bit of a snobbishness about, you know, cocktails on tap. That can't quite be right. Yeah. But oh <laughs> my goodness me, having been the one who doesn't go on the back shelf except for, you know, high days and holidays. A Negroni on tap at the end of the evening. Goodness gracious. It's absolutely amazing. And they just sort of pour it from the tap. Big chunk of ice. Nice little curl of orange. And it's just a bitter sensation. And, uh, yeah, it's 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 just great. Just great. I am someone who, like I was saying about whiskey, I love the idea of those drinks. And I love reading about those drinks. And I love sort of literature where people drink those drinks. I went to a wedding in a very, and it was, they very kindly put us up in a hotel and it was very fancy. And on next to the bed was a Negroni making kit. And it was just superb to look at. (laughs) And I thought, right, I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to be Ernest Hemingway and, uh, and Faulkner and Fitzgerald all rolled into one. And I made it. And I'm afraid to say it was just absolutely disgusting. <laughs> oh, no. But I think just because... <laughs> what's, what's in a Negroni? What, what is in it? Well, Emma, what is in the ideal Negroni? It's gin-based, I think, with some red vermouth. So it's kind of a sort of a pinky kind of colour, pinky sort of orangey colour. And it's got bitters in it as well. And then you often have it kind of served with, with like, a, yeah, a bit of orange peel, maybe a little squirt of orange juice. So it is bitter. I'm a big fan of bitter. I really, I really am. Um, I mean, that's what kind of. I guess that's why I'm into beer to a large extent. And a lot of the sort of juicy, hazy things. I don't. I don't mind if my beer is hazy. I don't mind if my beer is juicy. But I do like a little bit of a bitter finish. Otherwise, I find it hard to come back for more. It's like drinking a pint of orange juice, and I'm, I, I wouldn't really do that. Um, I, I like. I like bitter. You know. It's Bitter is my outlook on life, really, I think. I yeah. like. <laughs> it tastes very... I'm, I mean, this is being so disrespectful to the Negroni. It tastes a bit like earwax and um, like a, a, 
tincture, a sort of like a, almost like clove oil. It's so bitter. Yeah. That if I, and I think the thing with a lot of those cocktails you read about, <laughs> if you don't like the taste of neat gin, mm. you will probably not like yeah. 50% of cocktails. Yeah. <laughs> but I do know a lot of people who are very fond of a Negroni. Oh, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a good one. And, it, and the fact that you can get it even when the pub is busy, you know, you don't need to wait for somebody to do a little bit of, you know, shaking stuff and uh, they don't have to have a little grump on when you ask for a cocktail. It's just, yes. Pour you a little glass. You're barred. Speaking of people ordering cocktails in pubs, what are you going to bar from your dream uh, dream pub? <laughs> so um, I'm going to risk sounding a bit earnest and I'm going to cover some of the ground we covered a few minutes ago. But um, I want to bar bigotry and uh, prejudice and exclusion in all its forms. Um which, you know, I'm sure is very easy to do. So um, I'm sure I can be as dewy-eyed about pubs as the next person. I can rhapsodise about them and how wonderful they are. And, um, you know, there's this whole kind of story of how inclusive they are, that this public house and a a builder can stand next to a banker and, uh, you know, and they can be equals there. And and that's just not the full story. It's absolutely not for, for many, many people in our society. And, you know, we've already talked about women, um, you know, who who feel unable to go to pubs on their own, but but also thinking about uh, about queer people. You know, uh, one of the first thoughts I have when I push open the door of a pub is, am I going to be safe? That is st- continues to be one of my first thoughts. And I look for signs that I might be or might not be in terms of, you know, what in the past a rainbow flag, it's, you know, that's it's kind of hard to rely on that in terms of, of gay stuff now because... Often that means kind of support for the NHS. So, but in the past that would be a big, big signal that that uh, that uh, gay people were welcome. Or in terms of how the place looks, or in terms of how it's managed. You know, I've stood at the bar paying for my drink while uh, somebody is shouting homophobic abuse in my ear, and the barman has still been asking me for my, you know, that's three pound twenty. That's three. You know, <laughs> can you not see this? So, you know, there's, and and so I will, you know, often be quite careful. And that's true for many groups in society. I'm, because I'm now part of that sort of beer and pub scene, I don't feel, perhaps feel that as much a lot of the time, but a lot of queer people, particularly a lot of trans people, that's a worry for them every time they go out. And that can be an exclusion from many places. And also a lot of, a lot of black people, a lot of people, um, you know, uh, particularly when I think about newer tap rooms, they can be in areas of towns where there's a lot of uh, a lot of black people or maybe a lot of working class people a lot of all different types of people but they're not they're not drinking in that tap room it's other people travelling from other places who are drinking there and and i sort of think well what what is that about and how what work is that venue doing to reach out to those places is it just being part of the sort of general gentrification of various areas or is it actually doing some work um, to make people feel welcome and um, I think there's loads of work we need to do and um, you know it's not easy and uh, but I suppose what I would want is things like a you know a really strong written commitment to challenging prejudice and 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 a commitment to follow that up not just a, a written thing but an actual seeing that we see this through these are the actions we take when this happens there's also a lot about just basic things access in all its forms like you know toilets 
having you know perhaps gender-free toilets or at least having clean toilets because that's what puts off a lot of women from going to a lot of pubs you know toilets are a mess and having good non-alcoholic or low alcoholic options uh, and reaching out to kind of underrepresented groups so yes i do sound very earnest well no it's good that you say that because most people just say screens well yeah i mean you know now now i know most people do maybe that's what i should have said but i haven't i've said bigotry in all its forms and i've you know hung myself with it but you know that that's i think you know as a pub lover i know i don't have the full story about it and unfortunately i think the stories the stories we tell about pubs have often been written by one group in society and perhaps those stories need to be written by others my friend who i, I used to live with is non-binary and you know i texted them one night say oh do you want to come we're all down the pub and they said oh well what, what are the toilet situations like and I thought, oh, my God, that's something we have to think about mm -hmm. every time you go out. Every single time, and, yeah. You know, it really brought it home how yeah. challenging that can be. for something, It's something we take for granted so much mm -hmm. as well. You know. Absolutely. I'm so guilty of that privilege because I was talk, sort of soliloquizing earlier about the history of pubs and the community, but they've actually only been a community for white men. <laughs> so for, for, you know, a thousand years to sort of revel in what an important resource pubs are for towns well they're important for the white men in those towns and it is a responsibility of of this new wave of enthusiasm for brewing to also represent the generation that has brought through that enthusiasm in making sure that no one is excluded from those pubs and from those beers or and made to feel that the the pub or the tap room is not for them and i think that's mm -hmm. i think Absolutely, it's the best yeah. barring we've thus had um, and you, you, <laughs> so if you could just sort that out, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'd have to go. I don't think it'll ever be topped. I don't think someone will say uh, uh, dogs, and I go. Actually, that's better than Emma Inch's uh, bigotry, prejudice, and exclusion. Hurry up, please! It's time. I definitely want to come to this pub now. It's superb. It's got Negroni on tap, but what it doesn't have yet is a name. Okay, so lockdown's been pretty hard, or was pretty hard, and uh, uh, as I said, I was a, I was a shielding person. My partner's a doctor. Um, we have an eight-year-old daughter. Everyone's lockdown was hard in different ways, but um, we had these number of different uh, challenges. And although it's been an absolute joy to have a child with us, it's also been a bit of a challenge in keeping her occupied for months and months on end. And you know, she's as much of a pub lover as I am. So, uh, you know, throughout the kind of uh, the whole, you know, year and a bit or whatever it's been, uh, we've had, you know, as well as the Christmas in December, we had a Christmas in June. We had a Halloween party in April. We had a dinosaur theme weekend. We had all these things where we had to get dressed up and do weird things. But one of the things we enjoyed most was creating a beer garden in the garden. And, you know, initially it was just for us, but at the, in the little point where we could have other people around, we invited people around to our pub. We kind of upgraded a little bit. We got a gazebo as it came into autumn 2020. And uh, so we got this gazebo. We could have some of the sides open. We got heaters. We got little fairy lights going around it. And um, my daughter loved making a little menu. Um, you know, one of the things she's missed from pubs, I keep saying, what, what do you miss then? What is it? She's like, the chips. I just want the chips. And, uh, <laughs> we have chips yeah. at home, yeah, but the ones in the pub are so much better. So she made this little menu of what people could choose from. And we made these prices that went down the side, which were ridiculous, you know. 
burger and chips 17 pounds apple juice 5p um so we had all these you know these beautiful menus we printed and uh you know so i, I said to her well, we've got to have a name for our you know our gazebo pub beer garden thing and without hesitation she just said well it's called the blue fox i've no idea where she got that from uh, and I, I even googled it that i can't see any other pubs in the uk called the blue fox so my pub will obviously be called the Blue Fox. What else would it be called? That's brilliant. Oh, what a wonderful origin story of your pub's name. Oh, man, I want to go there right now. And I will have a pint of Sussex Best. Then I will try a bit of the porter. Try You can have a little third. Then I'll have a half of the proper job. Mm -hmm. Then I'm going to have... And a bottle of gin. Well, <laughs> no, I want to have like a... a a third of the serpent you must yeah i just sounds so magical it sounds like the sort of thing they might drink in his dark materials oh yes that, yes that might yeah. be their drink in the parallel realm <laughs> it is definitely a parallel realm kind of drink yeah <laughs> and all that whilst suffering no bigotry prejudice or exclusion with billy bragg on the jukebox emma inch thank you so much for joining us to create this pub it's been a delight talking to you oh it's been lovely thank you and i would recommend everyone to go to fermentationonline.com uh, to read about everything emma does and to read some wonderful uh, examples of your writing and it just remains for us to bid you farewell into the vast unending night with Billy Bragg playing, and I think it's right that you select a track from that album, perhaps one of the protest songs that that might give you a feel of what your pub would be like to be in. One of the ones that sticks with me that could have been written yesterday is It Says Here, which is about our national press. Yeah, you know, those who own the papers also own this land, um, one of the lines from it. And I guess that kind of, it's not a giving up song. It's a, you know, let's keep let's keep trying to make the world a better place. You know, we can we can make different choices. We can support each other. I guess that would be a, a song to send me off into the night. Well, let's play it now as you head off with the blue fox under your arm to take with you wherever you go. Thank you to beer writer and podcaster Emma Inch. It says here that the unions will never learn. It says here and as we watch Emma walking down the street, I can already see her taking out her notebook and pen to think of more ideas for her next fantastic column. So please do check out Emma's writing. It is superb. But now I must, I must, I'm afraid, call time at the bar. And it's time to wend our way back into the other realm. But next week we will be welcoming... Chaser, the vixen, the one, the only Jenny Ryan. So we're very excited to have her here at the Moon Underwater. Head to patreon.com forward slash moonunderpod. Head to Dry Drinker with the code moonunderpod. And head to yourself in a way. That's part of the whole quandary, isn't it? And uh, we will be back very soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.